You need to know him. You need, and if you do not, I, I just encourage you to know him. You've heard that old saying, to know him is to love him. With God, that is the truest of statements. If you know him, you love him. You're grateful to him. And then the next thing is the, the part about living for him, which we'll, you know, we talk about that all the time as Christians. And you know, a large part of scripture is talking about how to live for him and the right way to live for him. Today, last week we talked about tell a little bit, and I want to I want to really emphasize tell today. And then we're going to start a new series after today. And then a lot of what that series about is telling. But today we're going to talk about tell. And I, I'm curious, I, I do this with, a, and probably I've done this with a lot of you, where I, when I meet people and talk to them and get to know them a little bit, I want to know their story. Do you ever do that? Because their story is, is who they are and it's what made them who they are. And, you know, that kind of that analogy of our lives being a story and, the idea that you know, you're in a chapter of your life story, and clearly you're here, so it's not ended. Okay, that's probably a bad joke. But, um, but every chapter leading up to this chapter, how many of you would love to just be able to leaf a few pages ahead? Wouldn't it be nice sometimes and see what the next chapter will be or even how the story ends? But we're not given that, that privilege or maybe curse. It could be bad if you knew those kind of things. But the fact is, every one of those pages up till now tells a very unique story. And it, it's who you are. And it, it says a lot about why you are the way you are and how you came to be here now in this place. And I think about that a lot. And as I talk to people, I want to know their story. And the part of their story I really, really, really want to know is your Christ story. How did you get to here how did, what did God do in your life that made you become the Christian that you are today? And if you're not, I want to know that too. I want to know if there was something that made you say, not so much. Or if there was something that happened that made you say, not yet. But I want to know, you, everybody has a story. And I want to know what that story is. I just want to know. I want to know because it makes you who you are. It makes you think the way you think and act the way you act. And you approach scripture in a certain way, probably because of that story. And your view of God is going to be different depending on that story. I, I saw a video, you know, there's all these videos crop up today and these days. And I saw this video of a, a priest, I think, some kind of priest. I don't even know what kind it was. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that, but... People were coming up to get blessed and he was kind of bouncing kids' heads around as he was doing it. And they were walking away and you know, some of the kids are looking at him like, what are you doing? And I, I got to thinking, what is he doing? Why is he doing it that way? And I, I was looking in the comments, somebody was saying, what is he doing? And he said, someone said, he's making skeptics, he's turning kids into skeptics right now. And I thought about that. I thought some people's story has to do with maybe something that happened in the church. Maybe it wasn't a a priest or a pastor, but maybe it was a person in the church who acted in a certain way and it, it, it is a chapter in their life that plays into the rest of their life and then they have this attitude about God or the church or Christianity based on something like that. Everybody has an origin story, a backstory. You know when you're watching a, maybe a movie or a TV show and they do these backstories on the characters, this character development so that you understand who the person is and why they behave how they do and why they make the choices they do, you have that too. For me, when I talk about my relationship with Christ, I, I always want to know how people came to their faith in Christ. For me, I was raised in church. I don't remember not being at church. 
My parents were both very involved in the church. My dad didn't grow up in church per se. His father was Methodist. In fact, his great, my dad's great-grandfather, no, my dad's grandfather was a uh, Methodist preacher. And uh, his picture would hang in the house, and it was in this one room in my grandma's house. We were always afraid to go in there because he just looked so stern. He had this big, big, big beard and just kind of angry eyes. And um, it always made me wonder, like, what kind of preacher would that be? That would be a scary preacher. My dad grew up, his mom was Episcopalian, so when they did go to church, it was usually on holidays, and it depended on, you know, they didn't always go to the same church, and he didn't grow up that way. My mom, on the other hand, grew up in an Assembly of God church, and that was her, that's all she ever knew. My grandparents were Assembly of God, and um, so when my parents met, my dad started going to church with my mom, and then he became a Christian, and it was one of those small churches where everybody's like, he's not really a Christian, he's just doing that for Janice. And uh, he, he went overseas, because I've asked my dad before he passed away, I asked him, what was your Christ story? How did you come to Christ? And he said when he, he, he always knew about church, he, he loved the idea of church, but he didn't know Jesus before he met my mom. And then he went to church and he said when he went to their church, everybody was so happy and they, it, it seemed to be real to them. And, uh, you know, there was, my dad was always a singer. He loved singing. And, and um, he said the songs, you know, he would listen to the words and they, they basically preached about salvation and Jesus. So when he went down to the altar, he said it was real. But he said uh, he, he then got he was in the Navy already and he got shipped out. And he said that time alone, uh, not alone, but on the ship made it real for him. And he said he threw away his cigarettes. He threw away all the things he had been doing before. And that was it. And when he came back, everybody said, he's a different person. He changed. He met Jesus. That's how I was raised. So we were, you know, my parents were genuine about it. They sang in the choir. We were there for choir practice for Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, any prayer meetings. I have all these memories as a young child being next to my dad as he's praying I remember hearing things, I've told you this before, but I remember hearing something in the night and would get up to investigate and it would be my dad praying on the couch in the living room, just kneel down praying in front of the couch about something. It was real to them. I saw that. It was genuine. I still, though, remember when it became real to me. I remember where I was kind of, I remember I was sitting kind of in this area where our youth are sitting at our church, and I was young, I was probably 10 or 9 or 10, and I remember for the first time we had a guest speaker, I, I'll remember this part, and this is just, just the way it was, it was a guy, he was a missionary to Africa, I don't know his name or anything, but he was, I remember he was kind of tall and thin and kind of blonde, but he had an afro, so I remember for the first few part of the, for the first part of the service, I was wondering, I wonder if that's real or a perm. But that's, you know, my, that's me. And then he started talking about, he, I remember him saying these words. You maybe have been in church your whole life and you feel like you don't have anything to repent of. He said, but Jesus still wants your whole heart. And he is so holy you know, it may not be that you had been a, you know, at 10, I hadn't been a drug addict yet or developed all these horrible habits. But he said, that doesn't mean you don't need to turn your life over him. And it doesn't mean you don't have things in your heart that are evil and wrong. And it made sense for the first time. And I remember sitting there and thinking, that's me. I need to change. I need, I, I want to know him for me. 
Not for my parents, not because I was raised in church, not because I knew all the right answers and, you know, at kids' church, children's church, we had all these contests and, you know, I could quote the books of the Bible and I knew the Beatitude, you know what I mean? None of that mattered in that moment. What mattered was, do I really know him? And am I really sorry for the things that I've done that were wrong? And can I have a real, my own personal relationship with him? And I started that day and it changed everything for me. It was my own faith and then what happened is for me personally, my story was more than for me, I wanted to know, okay, well, I, this is real to me now. And now I, I, then I started meeting people who had different, went to different churches or different things. And I wanted to know, well, why are we right about this? So what that did is it sent me into, even as a kid, I would look up verses that the pastor or whoever was preaching and not to check it out. I do remember this is embarrassing, but one time I was sitting right back over there with my mom as a Sunday night and we had a guest speaker and I was checking his verses out. And he quoted one wrong, like it was the wrong reference, probably. He probably wrote it down wrong. It was probably not even, it was just an accident. And I remember turning to my mom and saying, like, he's, he's on the wrong verse. And <laughs> I remember my mom looking at me and she's like, who do you think you are? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, you can get something out of anybody. You need to change your attitude. And I, I, I remember to this day thinking, she's right. I had a wrong attitude. It was judgmental and critical and, and, um, I remember God dealing with me over that. But I wanted to know why we were right. I dug in. And that made me want to tell people, not to correct them, but to show them the truth. For me, it was never about, hey, I'm right and you're wrong. It was more about, if I, if I know, like I've used this example before, but to me it's the most stark example. If, if I know this building's on fire, someone asked earlier, they were in the auditorium, like when they first turn on the hazer and it kind of fills the room. Someone was like, are we on fire? Like, not yet, but maybe during worship. <laughs> I, was, I was kidding, but uh, if I knew this building was on fire and it was filling with smoke and I knew where the exits were, why wouldn't I tell you that? Why wouldn't I want you to know? I want you to know where the exit is. And in the world we live in today, there's, it is on fire. And I know it's metaphorical, but in some places it's real. And the fact is, if we know the truth, why wouldn't you want to tell them that? That's what motivates me. I look at it and I think... God, I know truth and I know answers. Do I just stand by and watch people go down the wrong road? I mean, if you're driving on the highway and someone's going the wrong way and they clearly don't know it, do you flash your lights at them? Do you wave them down? Do you tell them, hey, there's danger ahead? If you keep going, you're going to run into traffic and it's going to be a bad thing. Don't you tell them? <laughs> I think about that. And it, this verse that I have been really praying over and meditating on the last couple of weeks, it's Acts 4.20. I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon based on this verse before, but it's just, it's just been ringing in my mind. And what it is, I'll give you the backstory in a minute, but it's Peter and John, and they say this, we cannot stop telling everyone about, every, telling about everything we have seen and heard. They could not stop. And I think for me, sometimes it's easy to stop. I mean, I don't want to offend people, and I don't want people not to like me, and I don't want to be a, you know, annoying but they could not stop because what they had seen is real and it animated their whole lives. It changed everything for them. So my question to you today is, do you have that motivation too? And I think it should come from this place. What has God done for you? What is your story? What has he actually done in your life? What have you seen him do? How has he changed you? How has what he's done for you put you in a position where you can't stop telling people about it? Have you seen anybody healed? I love asking people that. Have you ever been healed? Are you seen somebody healed? 
How many of you have actually experienced healing in your personal life? You know God for sure, God healed your body. Look at all those hands. How many of you know somebody who's been healed? I, I prayed for people and watched them literally be healed in front of my face. When that happens, it's like, I, I know it's real. God does these things. Now, I also know people who are skeptical about that, and they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not sure if that's true or whatever. I, I heard this story. I think I've told you guys before, but it just cracks me up. But there's this lady, a dear old lady, and she was poor and just, you know, fixed income and things were tight and she would pray. And there's a lot of times her neighbor, who was an atheist, now they were kind to one another, but he didn't believe in God. And he kept hearing her pray, pray, pray. And at one point she was, you know, they had talked about it and he had told her, hey, God's not real. You know, it's, I don't want you to, you know, whatever. And she'd say, no, he is. He always answers my prayers. He takes care of me. And so one day he, he could hear her. She was praying on the back porch and praying for God to, to provide for her because she was out of money and she didn't have any food. And so here's what he thought. I'm going to buy her food. I'm going to put it on her doorstep. And then when she comes out and sees it and she thinks it's God, I'm going to tell her, no, it wasn't him. It was me. So that's what he did. So she came out. Of course, she's praising God. And he, he runs over there real quick and he goes, it wasn't your God. It was me. She didn't even miss a beat. She said, and thank you, God, for even using my atheist neighbor to answer my prayer. (laughs) And he looked at her like, "Mm, see, God does. He does. And he answers and he moves. And for you, maybe it's been a while. Maybe you've been just kind of going through the motions. And I don't mean that critical. Don't feel judged or critical. I'm just saying that you've kind of gone through the motions and church has become something we do. And yes, you sing the songs and but. But after time, it kind of gets less and less real. And I don't mean that to be a judgment or critical, because we all go through that. I think about this. I, I uh, was telling my classes at school my leg story about losing my leg. And I was telling them how this happens. Like, there was a long time where every, literally every morning I opened my eyes, I would start and just thank God to be alive. I mean, and genuinely serious, because I just had a near-death experience But after a while, that fades a little bit. It's not like I'm not grateful. It's just, it's not the first thing on my mind when I wake up. And, you know, then there's times I don't even think about it all day long. I mean, I just go through my life. You know, you you get used to it. It's it's like, you know, it just becomes background noise in a way. That sounds so rude to say, God, I'm so sorry. But our life with him isn't as vibrant. It's not in the moment where it may have been a while since he saved you or maybe changed you or maybe you had walked with, uh, you know, maybe an overwhelming addiction or sin and that's been gone, but it's been gone so long that it's not as real anymore, the, the freedom that you walk in. So it's not as if you're, it's not, you're not in the place with the disciples where they're saying, I can't stop. I can't, I can't help but tell people about it. Maybe it's gone a little cold. It's, Maybe you were offended by somebody. Or maybe there's been a prayer you've prayed for and God hasn't answered. And so because of that, you're feeling like maybe he's not as real. Maybe somebody in the church has hurt your feelings and it's genuine hurt and they were wrong. I'm going to use this example for a third time, but what if I played Beethoven poorly? Would you blame him or blame me? It's not God. There's a lot of reasons people claim Christ and come to Christ. For some of them, it's he changed their life. And I look at my dad, and I know when I was asking him, but why did you change? Why did you believe? What he would always say is he said, it made sense. 
When I, when I heard the plan of salvation and the gospel message for the first time, it made total sense. I'm like, yes, that's what I've been looking for my whole life and I didn't even know it. That made sense to him. It was, it was kind of a logical uh, a world view thing that everything made sense. Some people, it comes down to this. It's, it's true. They look at the evidence and they say, Jesus clearly rose from the dead and they've got good evidence because of the eyewitnesses that were there and they look at the changes in society and all of it and they see how the Bible's reliable and because of that evidence, it's, and there's so many examples of that. I think about you know, Lee Strobel who was a, he was a Chicago Tribune reporter. His wife became a Christian and he was trying to prove her wrong and in the process became a Christian himself because the evidence pointed indisputably to Christ being real. I think about Josh McDowell, the same thing, and Jay Warner Wallace, and there's so many that that for them. And, and maybe you're wired like that where you need to see the logic of it and it needs to make logical sense. Evidence is what changed your mind. For some of you, it's the fact that you needed him and he fulfilled your need and changed your life. I think for all of us, it's a part of one of those things. And as he changes us, that becomes our story. So as I'm talking about this today, what is your story if I were to sit down with you and just over maybe coffee or over lunch or something and say, tell me your story, what's your story? What would you say? What is it that's changed you? As we look at scripture today, I had that Acts 4.20 and that whole verse where we cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard, there's a backstory to that. And it starts actually in chapter three. Peter and John were, were obviously apostles at this point in the church. And they went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they entered the temple, a man lame from birth. How long was he lame? You can, that's the talking church part. From birth. Was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate. I don't know about you. That line right there overwhelms me sometimes he was crippled from birth and every day he was put there you may be thinking why why would they do that that's so dehumanizing it's so humiliating in their culture he didn't have any really other way to make a living that was it he didn't he couldn't do anything and their and their their society was was a lot of manual labor and he wasn't capable each day he was put beside the temple gate the one called the beautiful gate So he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. What strikes me about this verse right here, this passage, is it's likely they walked by him before. Have you thought about that before? There were only so many entrances to the temple. They went there every day, and he was there every day. I wonder how often Peter and John, and I'm I'm not at all criticizing them for this. I'm just wondering how many times they walk by. And I think that's significant for us because there are people that we encounter every single day who are just as crippled on the inside. It may not be obvious, but they're hurting. They're, they're in need of what you have and we don't even see them. And I do the same thing. I'm, again, I'm not criticizing them or you, but the fact is, there are people in need all the time, and we walk by them all the time, and we either don't see the need or don't notice, or they, they blend into the fabric. And I imagine there were probably a lot of beggars by the gate, beautiful. And as they walk by, they probably walk by a lot of people. I don't know. 
But I know I walk by people all the time. And because I don't stop, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in their world. And I, and I, I have no idea what they need. And, and look, to be fair, a lot of people aren't looking for me to talk to them every day. But if I'm honest too, do I avoid them? Is there maybe that annoying person in your life who you'd just rather not be around? Especially not for a conversation. And when you greet them, you say, how you doing? And you really want them to say, fine, and walk by. Because if they stopped and told you, you wouldn't have time and you wouldn't care. Man, that's harsh. I'll tell you, I don't do this enough. But there's a lot of days where I'm praying on the way and wherever I'm going and I'll pray something like, God, use me today in somebody's life. And I feel like the Holy Spirit checks me and says, are you serious? Because I got people. Are you serious about that? Because I know a lot of people who you could really help today. And if you're really serious about this, you need to pray that again because I don't think you meant it. Now, that's just how he talks to me. I don't know, though. I, I feel like there's times where I'd rather just go about my whatever I'm doing and do it, you know. Um, I haven't done this for a long time, but there's been times where I've been in a public place and see somebody and I think, I, I'm in a hurry. I don't, I don't really have time to, to greet them properly or talk to them. And, and um, the temptation to avoid them. And that's, I don't want to be that. I don't want to walk by somebody at the gate beautiful and know that I could help and don't. We need to pray for those opportunities. Pray for them. Walk in the spirit where your spirit is with him. And there's times I'm talking to somebody and I'm literally praying and saying, God, am I supposed to say something more than this casual conversation? I'll ask people at, you know, the person at Quick Trip or a waitress or somewhere and I'll say, how's your day going? And it's funny because you can tell in their eyes, they're looking at you like, do you really mean that? And I'll follow up. Is it kind of rough today because of the weather? Or, or is it just boring because nobody's coming in because it's snowing and the people stay out? And when people start to talk, they've got a life. There's things going on. I think what we need to remember is God doesn't save us just for us. He saves us for them. There's people out there who need to hear and you have answers. Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The layman looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. I want to stop and pause for a minute because I feel like there's times where you may be hesitant because you don't have everything they need. Peter didn't either. He gave them what he had. And that is the difference, I think. God will help you with what you need, but it's not as if you have every answer to every problem. Peter literally said, I don't have any money for you, but I'll give you what I do have. And quite frankly, what he gave him was way more important than money anyway. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up and stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. I read that and I see it probably different than you all because <laughs> I know what it's like to not to be able to walk and then to get a leg to try to walk 
And it's actually hard to walk if you've never walked. It is. It's actually hard, harder than you think. And it's what's funny about this, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, God not only healed him, allowed him to be able to walk, but then let him be able to walk. It's not that easy. You've never done this before. He was lame from birth. And all of a sudden he's up and dancing around. That's an amazing thing. I also love this part because when his knees were met, his life was changed. And he was grateful and he went with them into the temple. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that had been so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. You know what that tells me? People see. They see what's happening in your life. They see it. They watch. They see, they see how you respond to issues. They see how you respond to problems. They are watching you all the time. Those people saw that difference in him and they wanted to know what had happened. They see the difference in you and they want to know what had happened. I heard this yesterday. I was listening to a, a podcast and this guy was talking about you know, sharing his faith and he was saying that he, he's in a difficult environment right now. He's a public school teacher and he said, um, occasionally he would share his faith with this guy that he knew was not a believer, in fact, an atheist, and pretty vocal about it. And in the school they're in, you know, they can't, there's, there's a lot of government restrictions on sharing your faith, but this was just teacher to teacher. And at one point, the teacher who was not the believer said to him, Hey, I don't mind you sharing about what you believe because I can tell it's real. He didn't say, I want to become a Christian. He said, I can see from your life that it's real. I thought about that a lot, and I thought about how many times are people seeing our lives and they're wondering, is it real for you because your life doesn't look much different than mine? People are seeing your posts online. They do. They see what you write. There's, in 2 Corinthians 3, there's this whole passage. I love this passage. There's so many things, but one of the things he talks about as being is the aroma of Christ. And it makes me wonder, as Christians, how are we smelling? Do we, do we reflect him? Do we smell like Jesus? Is what they're seeing pointing them to Jesus? I love this about Peter and John, too, because they didn't just leave him there and say, hey, can you stop clinging on me? He was clinging to them. Can you imagine his whole life being changed like that? His whole life, he's crippled and begging, and then now he's jumping around, and he's clinging to them, and he's in there. And then look at what happens. Peter saw his opportunity. He saw his opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors. Remember, they're in the temple at this point, the Jewish temple who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus, <laughs> talk about preaching, who hand, you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to reject him, or release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. You know what I love about this? Peter saw his opportunity. He saw it. He saw it. And he used that opportunity of the healing to then tell them the gospel. Because people need the truth of the gospel. 
He, they needed to see it. And he didn't, he didn't pull any punches. He didn't cut in corners. He just said, they need to know that Jesus saves. And they need to know that their sin was serious. And he pointed them to the cross. This Jesus who you crucified. The enemy has blinded their eyes. And he, he, he tore those off. And he said, this healing is because of this. <laughs> I love it. I love it because he, he saw his opportunity and he took it. What's your motivation to tell people? I'd wonder, what's your motivation? Do you want people to be free? Is that it? Because I know you all have a motivation to tell people. Is it because he's done something for you? And because of that, as I'm talking right now, you're thinking, yes, I have a story to tell. And he's done these things for me. Maybe he didn't raise you up as a cripple to jump around, but maybe he has raised something up out of your life. Maybe you've experienced forgiveness that changed everything. Maybe for you it was a financial blessing that could come from nowhere else. Maybe it was a physical healing. A lot of you have been healed or you've seen those healings. And it's something that you can tell people because it happened to you. People need to know. They need to know that Jesus saves. They need to know. And they're wanting to know from you because they're watching you. They need to know how serious their sin is. They need to know all those things. You want people to avoid hell and you want them there in heaven with you. It's real and you know it and I know you're motivated to tell them. So how do you tell them? What do you do? What do you do? How do you do this? I think it starts with this. To me, this is the most important thing is you need to be praying for that opportunity and you need to be praying for people. There are people in your life, I know, who need to know You need to be praying for them, praying for their salvation, praying that God would give you an opportunity to talk to them, praying for that. You need to be praying for that. Because here's what happens. As you pray for that, your heart goes out to them and God molds your hearts together and you start to care about them in a different way. It may be that annoying coworker. It may be that person in your school who's obnoxious. It could be somebody in your family who you don't get along with. But as you pray for them, God will put them on your heart in a different way and they will be on your mind. Because guess what? They're on his mind. You pray for them and you care about them, but he cares about them way more than you do. And he's actually probably putting them in your path because you're the one that can reach them. He does that kind of thing. The next thing is this. You you need to have that witness that is something that points to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying to be phony or act fake. What I'm saying is people need to watch how you deal with what life brings you. Life's not always the same for everybody. And it's not like our life is perfect. I'm not saying you walk in all Pollyannish and everything's fine all the time. But what I'm saying is they see you take your problems to Christ, to Jesus and see your attitude change and see you deal with them in a Christ-like way. It's basically that what would Jesus do? What would he do? The next thing is this. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to care about these people. And that starts with listening to them. Because guess what? You have a story. They have a story. They do have a story. And it's simple in a way to just ask them what their story is. Ask them questions. You know, where do you come from? I and mean, you can get pointed with them. And, and obviously there's times where life brings weird things that happen. And you can say, hey, man, how did you deal with that? Or what are your spiritual beliefs? Or you know, what do you mean by that? Or how do you know? Or what do you think happens when you die? Or, I mean, there's ways to talk about those things. And after you've listened genuinely to their... I'm not talking about you know, the kind of listening a lot of times we do. We're like, well, can you hurry up? Because I got something to say. You know anybody like that? You can tell they're not really paying attention. I'm talking about sincere caring about people where you really want to know what they think and what their life is like and what's happening in their life. Then the opportunity is for you to tell your story. Tell your story. 
If you've listened to their story, they're a lot more likely to want to hear your story. The fact is they have a story, you have a story. And as you tell your story, you need to know your story. I bet as I'm talking today, you're thinking, well, I do have a story, but here's what I'm asking you to do today. This is a challenge for you. Think about what that story is. Rehearse it a little bit. Tell, tell the story. You, you know your story. I know for me, I've got a lot of stories to tell. I've got a lot of things just like you. There's many things probably that have happened in your life that you could tell something about. But what I'm suggesting to you is not the first time you tell it, be in one of these situations. Instead, think about it ahead of time. Work it out. I actually, I, with my leg story, I've got, I've got a bunch of different versions of it for different situations, depending on where I'm at. And I'm sorry, I was just laughing at myself right there because this happened not too long ago. I was in Walmart and um, somebody hit me with the cart. You ever have that happen on your ankle? Well, on mine, it doesn't hurt at all. I'm just saying. Um, And if they hit that metal against a metal cart, it sounds bad, right? So this this lady hit me and uh, I turn around and I'm like, what was that? And she's like, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I go, I'm just joking. It didn't hurt at all. I didn't even feel it. You know, and so guess what? We can talk. Do you see what I'm saying? I can use that. And I, I actually do use it all the time. And then people ask me questions. This, this happens more often than you would think. But um, people see it. And they want to know what happened. I think I've told you this story before. But again, Walmart. I love going. Walmart's so much more entertaining than than Target. I'm just telling you. So I was in Walmart late one night, and um, and you know it was late because there was there was only two like lines open, and so I was getting kind of long, and so I'm standing in line, and this guy's in front of me, and uh, on the back of his head looked like a volcano, a, a scar, but it looked like a volcano, and I'm you know it's just I'm not trying to stare, but I mean it, like it's right there, so I'm kind of looking at that. And I look at the lady behind me, and she's like, I know, right? And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, what? Are you going to ask him what that is? And she's like, no. And so <laughs> I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, this lady's... No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, I didn't do that. I just said, I said, dude, what? Can I ask what happened to your head? And he's like, crazy, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, because I was a cabbie here in Kansas City, and someone tried to rob me, and they shot me. I'm like, in your head? He goes, I know. He goes, I woke up and my head was hurting. And, you know, I, I could tell something was wrong, but it didn't go in my head. It just, it just did that. I'm like, so I'm standing there. Guys, seriously, everybody in Walmart's listening to us right now. And I said, so you're a believer now, right? And he goes, he goes well, I was before. God saved my life, clearly. And he looked down at my leg and he goes, well, what about you? Dude, we had an audience, and I look at that and I think, we start talking about our relationship and our stories of being believers in Christ. We, I, I, as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, God, this is all you. This is what he does. It's what he does. I know my story, so I'm saying I got different versions of my story. In that version, it wasn't like I'm going to talk for 45 minutes, Right? But I can talk about how God saved my life on the street. I can talk about all those things he did. I can talk about, you know, how, how he's turned it into good afterward and the things he's done through it. I've got a story. You have a story. But you need to know what it is and be able to tell it and be ready to tell it and willing to tell it. That guy right there, I should have got his number. What a cool guy. 
you know, and what a cool story he had. Tell about your experiences that give you an opportunity to brag on God. That's what you're doing. You're bragging about what God has done and what he would do for them if he knew them like you do. That's what we're talking about. Uh, it can be whatever it is. It can be about the experience that you've had with him. It can be about how much it makes sense to you. It can be about the evidence. Not everybody's convinced by the same thing, but the fact is there's a story there. And when you're doing that, then you need to think about you've got a story, they've got a story, and then God has a story. We've talked about this a million times, but his story is something you need to know backward and forward because this is the thing that saved you. Think about his story. I know we've talked about this before, but his story is the thing that animates and is underneath every other story. Our, as humans, we are drawn to the story of God, which is what the Bible is about. Think about how this, and think about any movie, any story you've ever read almost. Everything started great, right? In the Bible, what was that? Eden, right? Perfect. And then what happened? Something came in and destroyed it and made it bad. You had an you a, a enemy who came in. And then what needed to have happened? We needed a hero to come and, and fix it and to take it back and to, to, to destroy the enemy and make it good again. So Jesus is the hero of heroes. He's behind every hero story there is. And then what it does is in the end, we live happily ever after. What's true about that story is sadly not true about any of those other stories because you know real life doesn't end happily ever after. But the Christian life does. That is the story behind every story. And when you know how to tell it and tell the fact that Jesus is the hero that comes and changes things, then you have a story to tell. So you listen to their story, you tell your story, and then you tell his story. It's not really hard, but it's something you got to be willing and ready to do. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give them life. <coughs> that is the story. Now look, we all have stories, and your story's complex. The thing is, you got to figure out how to tell it because we all have different versions of it and we all have that. But God has given you experiences where he's guided you, corrected you, nurtured you. He's grown you. He's changed you. He's done these things in you. That's what he does. So pray and ask God to give you an opportunity to tell those stories. Back to our story with Peter and John. While they're speaking to the people. They're confronted by the priests and the captain of the temple guard. Some of them, they're Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching people that through Jesus, there is resurrection from the dead. They arrested them. And since it was evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed. So the number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. Telling the truth about Jesus might cost you something. It might. Actually, it probably will. Jesus said it would. But God's going to grow his church in spite of that. There's a reason that Luke wrote that in there that way he did. Yes, Peter and John got put in jail, but the church grew. The first in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, it grew to about 3,000 that day. Then after this, it's grown already almost doubled. Now, as you look at that, you think about that. What is going on? Well, here's what's going on. The next day, the council, all the rulers and elders and teachers, the religious law, met in Jerusalem Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, other relatives of the high priest. They brought the two disciples and they said, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, we, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? <laughs> I love that. Do you want to know how he was healed? 
Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. He's telling them the gospel on trial. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And I love this, this, this response. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. You may be sitting here today and thinking, I don't know what to say, Pastor. I don't know if I could do that. I, I don't really talk to people in the line of Walmart. <laughs> you don't have to. But... Here's what you need to understand. These disciples at this point, they were not trained orators. They were not professional speakers. They were not. The difference was that they had been with Jesus and they had the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, so the beginning of this book, Jesus is getting ready to, re, to, to leave the earth. He tells them that, it, that uh, to stick around in Jerusalem. He says, well, when you do, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will have power to, to evangelize, power to preach. The thing is, God doesn't send us out there with a job and then not prepare us for the job. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his anointing. He gives us his power. He does that on purpose. That's what he does. He doesn't just set us up to fail. What he does is he gives you a story, then he helps you tell it because he wants you to share it. He wants these people to know him more than anybody. They were not trained orators. And think about this. Did you catch the names of the people who were doing this? You know what I think happened? I think they're hearing these guys and they're like, wait a minute. We just killed Jesus, and yet these guys are talking about him. It was Annas and then Caiaphas. Those were the high priests, the priests that sentenced Jesus to death. These disciples are now in the very same uh, council meeting, the very same courthouse, if you will, that Jesus was sentenced to death in. And they didn't shrink back. They weren't afraid. They were the night Jesus died. Remember, they all abandoned him. But this day, everything was different. What was different? It's because they had an encounter with the risen Lord. It's because they had the Holy Spirit in them. It changed everything for them. So some of you are sitting here today and you're wondering, well, I don't know that I could do all that. and I don't know what to do. They actually told them what they did is they decided, hey, we don't want to start a riot. We got this healed cripple here. What are we going to do? And so they're trying to tell Peter and John, just stop preaching. And Peter and John responded to them. They said, um, really? Are you, you think we're going to obey you over God? No. We cannot stop. So here's what they do. Nick, if you would join me up here for a minute. Here's what they do. They're released. They go back and they pray with the church. And here's what they pray. They do not pray for easy. You know what they pray for? More boldness. You would think they'd say, well, hey, God, can you protect us next time so we don't have to spend the night in jail? You would think they'd say, hey, God, can you make this easy for me? They did not pray that. What they prayed for was more boldness more boldness and the scripture says that the the place they were praying was shaken and they're all filled with the holy spirit again god gave them the spirit for more boldness so maybe you're sitting here today and maybe for you you're saying okay i'm not i don't okay i know i'm an outgoing person i know that and maybe you're not that's fine because i guarantee you there are people you have relationship with who I'm not, I'm not saying stand up on the street corner and preach. What I'm saying is that you have a story to tell. The people who you know and encounter all the time, they have stories. You listen to their story. You tell them your story. You tell them his story. That will change everything. And the Spirit of God is working on their hearts way more than you could ever imagine. He wants them to know him. He loves them. His son died for them. 
I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a second like this. I think it's a very important thing to think about. Paul talked about this. He said some people plant seeds and other people water. There's been a lot of times where I've talked to somebody about Jesus and they didn't accept Christ. And I walked away feeling like a failure. Like, oh, what did I say wrong? In my mind, I go back over the conversation. I should have said this. I could have said this. I could have done this. And the truth is, we all play a part. But God hasn't called every one of us to necessarily lead every single person we encounter to Christ. Because a lot of times it's a process. There's a lot of people planting seeds and a lot of people watering. And then somebody leads them to Christ. What I think you should do is think of yourself more as a farmer where you're planting seeds. Sometimes you're pulling weeds because they might have questions or misconceptions or, or they have ideas that, that are contradictions, they think, in Scripture that maybe aren't true. But for you, as you talk to them, you are, you are working the soil of their heart. And in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is dropping these thoughts in their minds and convicting them. And what comes to us is you just have to open your mouth and be willing to plant a seed, be willing to just do that to tell them something that happened in your life that will change their thinking about maybe it's true. As I've been saying these things, what I think has probably happened is that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you. And maybe you felt a little conviction because you think, well, I should have done this or said this. But my prayer is, more importantly, that you're thinking about somebody that you could say something to. More importantly, that your heart is wanting to share what God has done for you. So I've got some homework for you as we head out of here today. Homework works like this. I want you to pray tonight and tomorrow and the next day and ask God, God, do you want to use me like that? If so, I want to be willing. Maybe you're not even willing yet. and You're thinking, I'm too shy or I, I don't know what to say. The truth is he gives you what to say. And if you're willing, he will use you. The next thing I hope you're praying for is somebody, that there's somebody on your mind or many somebodies. Maybe there's a lot of people that you encounter and you know, God, they need you. They need you. They need you. And start praying for them by name. Make a list. Say, God, I know that they need to know who you are. Pray that you, God would bless them, that he would melt their hearts to them, to him, that he would open their hearts, that he would answer their questions, that he would pull down barriers, all those things, and that he, then you would have an opportunity. And I want to ask you to do this too. The thing is, God gives us his Holy Spirit for a lot of things, to encourage us, to build us up, to speak to us. But it starts out there with power to witness. If you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, that is something that can happen in this moment, today. It can happen as you go home. You seek him, you ask God, I want your Holy Spirit in me, giving me that boldness that I need to share, share what's, what you are telling me to share he speaks to us all the time. We all have a spirit. I'm talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit where he gives you that extra infilling that changes the way you speak. So I'm going to do this. Pastor Jeremy's going to come out. He's got some announcements he's going to share. We're going to introduce our new series coming up. But before we do that, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I've got a couple questions. I wonder if there's anybody here who you just feel like, God, I need, I need more of you because there's people I know that I need to tell about you. Anybody like that? There's people on your mind that you know you need to tell. Anybody like that here? I see those hands. I appreciate your honesty. I'm going to ask this too. I'm wondering if there's people here who you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit, but you want God to fill you. Anybody like that here? 
Anybody at all? All right, after service, I'll be available over here on the right side of the auditorium. If you want us to pray with you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the boldness that comes with that, we'll be there to pray with you. All right, let me pray with you and close this part of the service and Pastor Jeremy's gonna come. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would continue to work on our stories. That as you unfold our lives in front of us, that as you do those things in our life, God, that then you would help us to be ready to share those things. Father, I pray that you would give us specifically the right people to talk to and you would prepare our hearts that we would be willing and available to tell people who need to hear your truth. God, we pray for those people. I've got people in my mind right now, as I know people in this room do, and I pray, God, that you would melt their hearts, prepare their hearts, open their hearts to hear from us our stories and then your story. God, I pray for those who uh, need to move in the power of the Spirit, to need the boldness that comes with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that would happen today in Jesus' name. Amen. As Pastor Jeremy comes, just want to remind you, I'll be over here on the right side of the auditorium. If you need prayer for anything, we'd be there too. So.